Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. So in this episode, I'm going to be doing this one by myself. I'll be doing it solo just because Kevin is currently up north for vacation right now. So I imagine he's having a good time with his girlfriend for Thanksgiving. And before I dive into the episode, I just want to extend uh, my wishes for hopefully everybody having a solid Thanksgiving holiday. I know I did on my end, and I hope that everyone had the same as well. So with that said, we'll transition into the episode that we have for you guys. I'm going to go down the agenda from top to bottom, and it's going to go something like this. So we're going to mostly focus on the NFL for this one. We're mostly going to go over the featured games that we have on the NFL Week 12 slate. So the first ones that we'll go over will be the Cowboys and the Raiders game that took place on Thanksgiving Day. It was a phenomenal game. It was the best game out of the three games, which included the the Bears and the Lions and the Saints and the Bills. But we'll mostly focus on the Cowboys and the Raiders game. Raiders ended up getting the overtime win over the Cowboys with a score of 36-33. to uh, We'll start the episode off with that, but after that, we are mostly going to focus on the featured games that are going to take place on Sunday. And the first one that we're going to go over will be the Los Angeles Rams going to Green Bay to play against the Packers. It's probably the best game out of the entire slate for Sunday. So that'll be the first game that we go over. The second one that we're going to go over is going to be the Tennessee Titans and the New England Patriots. The Tennessee Titans are still the best team in the AFC with an 8-3 and record, but the Patriots have been surging of late, won five straight games, and are looking to extend that win streak to six games if they're able to get the win over Tennessee this weekend. So that'll be the second game that we go over. The third game is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going up against the Indianapolis Colts. This is an interesting game that we have for our last featured game for the Sunday slate. Tampa is the defending champions from last year, but they're going up against a team that has been surging of late with the Indianapolis Colts, and the Colts had probably one of the best wins that any team has had against any sort of competition with the absolute beatdown that the Colts were able to display against Buffalo last week. So that'll definitely be a good game to round out our featured games for the Week 12 slate in the NFL. And then we'll transition to one NBA topic, which is going to be the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns have gotten off to an incredible start. And I think what's been lost in the start of the NBA season so far 
is just how good Phoenix has looked, despite coming off of a pretty tough NBA Finals loss to the Milwaukee Bucks last year. So that'll be a good topic to round out the episode. So that is the episode that we have for you guys, but let's not waste any more time. And let's dive into this Raiders and Cowboys game that took place on Thanksgiving Day. So the Raiders were able to get the road win over the Dallas Cowboys by the score of 36-33 to in overtime. Going into this game, I thought the Cowboys had the advantage simply just because, look, the, the Raiders have been dealing with some major issues off the field throughout most of this season. We've had a tumultuous firing of... John Gruden, well, I shouldn't say firing, they res- he resigned, but he was probably going to be fired outright. And then not only that, you had the Henry Ruggs situation where he ends up killing somebody while traveling over 150 miles an hour when he, he hits that car and unfortunately kills the driver of that car that he hit. And then you have a situation with one of their players, get the guy's name, was on Instagram Live, essentially posing with guns and threatening to kill people, and he was later kicked off the team because of that. But through it all, the Raiders were able to find a way to get this victory over the Cowboys in a stunning fashion, to say the least. I thought that Derek Carr had a phenomenal game against the Cowboys in this one. He was able to essentially carve up this Cowboys secondary relatively easily just because... This Cowboys defense has looked suspect at times, but I got to give it up to Derek Carr in this one. Derek Carr had almost 375 yards passing. Granted, he only threw the one touchdown, but he didn't turn the ball over, and I thought he was relatively efficient in this game, and it gave the Raiders a chance in this one, but they got up to a very good start because Deshaun Jackson was able to get a nice 45 to 50 yard reception that put him up 7 to nothing, and it kept Las Vegas in the driver's seat for most of the, actually for all of the game. There was at no point where the Cowboys were winning this one. And that's in large part due to the fact that whenever the Cowboys scored, the Raiders responded pretty quickly with their own scoring drive that either either ended with a touchdown or a field goal. So with the Raiders, I thought it was a solid performance. They needed this win to stay relevant in the playoff picture in the AFC and, you know, currently at 6-5, and five, they're definitely in the hunt. They're only behind KC at the top of the AFC West by one game. So I'm not saying that the Raiders are completely out of it, but they had been, a little, they had been on a little bit of a slide before this win against the Cowboys. And this is a good bounce-back win for them. And being able to put up 36 points against a top-tier team like the Dallas Cowboys, I think it'll definitely be a good performance that they can improve upon moving forward. And, you know, maybe it could establish some sort of run for them, but really the consistency part is something that I think the Raiders are going to have to focus on for the rest of the season, because just the off the field issues have really kind of deterred this team from having consistent success, but a big win against Dallas. I think that'll do wonders for them moving forward. Now I got to talk about Dallas. Dallas in this game, they just, couldn't get into a rhythm at all, whether it was on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball. And really, as a unit, I got to focus on one thing and one thing only. And it's the amount of penalties they had in this game. Dallas had 14 penalties for over 160 yards of penalty yards. It's unacceptable. 
I don't care what Cowboy fans are saying, saying that, oh my God, the fans were atrocious in this game. I understand that there were a lot of calls being made in this game between the Raiders and the Cowboys. And I fully understand that because the Raiders had 14 penalties of their own for 110 penalty yards. So the refs were calling everything in this game. But just the inopportune penalties for the Cowboys really stood out in this one. And a lot of these penalties, they came on third downs where the Raiders were able to get a conversion, but they were bailed out by a penalty simply just because Dallas was making mental mistakes. And really, the one corner for Dallas that was having just a bad game from beginning to end was Anthony Brown. He had four penalties in this game, all of which were defensive pass interferences. And the last one that he gave up was the one that set up the Raiders in field goal position in overtime that eventually led to the game-winning field goal for Las Vegas. So as a whole, defensively, the Cowboys just sucked. Gave up over 36 points to a team that had been struggling of late with the Las Vegas Raiders. Vegas had really kind of had a, a difficult stretch where they were not able to score points on a consistent basis. But they come into Dallas on Thanksgiving Day and they just annihilate this Cowboys secondary for 36 points. And Dallas has had a, a pretty decent defense in stretches. But really, the, these last couple games that they've been playing in, they've really kind of struggled as a unit. And this one really kind of highlights the work that needs to be done as far as their secondary goes. When this team is not committing turnovers from the opposing offenses that they're playing against, this team can give up points. And we saw it in this matchup where Derek Carr was able to light up that secondary and that Raiders offense had over 500 yards of total offense. As a unit, you can't have that from the Cowboys defense. And that's despite the fact that I thought Dak Prescott had a relatively good game. Dak was the one trying to keep them in it because Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb were not in this game. Amari's dealing with COVID right now and CeeDee Lamb didn't pass the concussion protocol going into this game, so he was out as well. And Dak, to his credit, was keeping them in it despite the fact that offensively, there were times where the Cowboys just could not get a lot going and the run game was non-existent from Dallas in this one. Because when you look at the Cowboys' rushing attack, between Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, they only had 61 yards of rush yards against Las Vegas. You just can't have that. These guys are more than capable of combining for 125 to 150 yards on the ground and only getting 61 yards with Ezekiel Elliott getting the only rushing touchdown between the two of them. Just can't have that. And give Vegas credit, though. They were able to step up and they were able to contain that Dallas rushing attack that has Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. But, you know, even though that Dak, I thought, had a relatively good game, there were some throws that he missed, and especially in the overtime period when they're they're backed up pretty far on their own end of the field. And on a third and four, he had a chance to complete a pass to, I believe, Noah Brown, and he was rolling out, and Brown was open. Dak just missed him. And it resulted in a punt, and it essentially led the Raiders on a drive to get the game-winning field goal that gave them the win. 
So when I look at Dallas, overall, I thought offensively, they were good in spurts. And defensively, man, they were just wide open for attack today. And the Raiders took them to task for it. And for everybody that's complaining about the refs in this game, look, it was definitely a deterrence from this game just because with the number of penalties that were in this game, there were 28 altogether. It led to an annoying game overall just because I felt like the refs were in for most of the game. They were always a focal point within that game. But it does highlight one thing. The Cowboys, man, they cannot have these mental mistakes because a lot of these penalties that they had were mental mistakes. Anthony Brown had four of them. I forget who jumped off sides twice on the last possession that the the Raiders had when they were lining up for the game-winning field goal. But they had back-to-back offsides penalties that bumped them from a 39-yard field goal to a 29-yard field goal. I mean, these are mental mistakes that you just can't have as a unit as far as the Cowboys go. But as a team, man, they just sucked with the penalties today. And that's why they're sitting at 7 and 4 and they've lost two straight they've lost two straight games. Now, I don't think that the Cowboys it's a doom and gloom scenario where this team is falling apart, their season's falling apart. I don't really want to go that far yet. They do need to get a more consistent offensive attack than they've had the last two weeks because they really struggled against the Chiefs last week. And granted, they did score 33 against the Raiders, but there were some times where this offense was struggling. But I imagine once the Cowboys get CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper back, I think they'll be fine. But I would like to see this team try to run the ball more effectively. I know they've had some shifting of offensive linemen the last couple weeks just because of the injuries that they've been sustaining. But really, once those guys get back into the fold in the wide receiving core, I think it will establish some sort of balance as far as the offense goes. Because really, the receiving core has kind of failed to step up to replace those top-tier guys. And I think the defenses that they've been going up against, they're playing against the run because they know that they're short-staffed in the receiving core. So once you get C.D. Lamb and Amari back into the fold, I think it will lead to a much more potent offense moving forward. And I think the Cowboys are still in the driver's seat to not only win the NFC East, but I do believe that they're going to be one of the best teams in the NFC when it's all said and done. But back-to-back losses, not a good look. And the way that they lost this game against the Raiders, you could just say it. Typical Cowboys had a game in their hands, and they just let it slip. And they didn't even turn the ball over. So it's not like they were very turnover prone in this game. They just couldn't capitalize. They just couldn't execute in the moments that they needed to do it. And that's why they're sitting at 7-4. and four. But overall, not too worried about the Cowboys. I think once CD and Amari come back, they'll be good to go. And I think the, the I don't know if they're going to go on a run where they're just going to win out the rest of their games. But I think they'll be able to win the NFC East pretty comfortably. And I think they definitely have a shot to finish as like a top three, top four team in the NFC when it's all said and done. So, you know, with that said, we're going to transition into our feature topics for the Sunday slate of games that we have for week 12 in the NFL. And the first one that we're going to go over is going to be the Rams and the Packers game. Rams are currently sitting at a seven and three record. They're currently in second place in the NFC West behind the Arizona Cardinals. 
And they're looking to avoid a three-game losing streak with a win over the Packers this week. And then to flip it over to the Green Bay side, Packers are currently sitting at an 8-3 and record. They're currently the top team in the NFC North, but they are coming off of a loss against the Minnesota Vikings last week where they lost in a shootout by the score of 34-31. to So when I look at this game on paper, this is definitely the best matchup out of the entire slate for Week 12 in the NFL. So both the Packers and the Rams, they're fighting for positioning at the top of the NFC. The Rams are coming into this one off of a bye, but before that bye week, they had two bad losses against the Titans and the 49ers, where, to be quite honest with you guys, they did not look competitive in both of those games, and Matt Stafford had some pretty bad performances in those games. He had pick sixes in both of those games, which ended up leading to just poor performances and ended up resulting in a loss for Los Angeles. And then when you look at the Packers, they've lost the last two out of their three games. One loss was to the Chiefs where they didn't have Aaron Rodgers. They had Jordan Love in. And then they had the shootout loss to the Vikings last week. So when you look at the the Packers, they're trying to just get some consistency moving forward. And the same goes with the Rams. The Rams are definitely trying to avoid a three-game losing streak out of this current moment in time. So when I look at this game, this game essentially comes down to one factor for me. Which defense is going to do enough against its opposing offense? Because this is one of the best quarterback matchups that we're going to see this entire season. It doesn't get a lot better than Matt Stafford going up against Aaron Rodgers. And I think both of them are going to have success against the defenses that they're lined up against. But when I see this game playing out, I just believe that the Packers defense will have the advantage against the Rams. And here's why. They're coming off of a game against the Vikings where they arguably had their worst defensive performance of the entire season. I mean, they got picked apart by Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, and that Vikings offense at will throughout the entirety of that game. So I think the Packers defense, as a whole, I think they're, they're going to have a bounce back game against LA. And I have to admit, though, it's kind of a bold statement because the Rams have Cooper Cup, who's been the best performing receiver we've seen in the NFL this year. And Odell Beckham Jr., who's looking to make an impact in their right in their wide receiving core to kind of replace the loss of Robert Woods with his torn ACL. But I do think that the Packers defense is going to force a turnover or two off of Matt Stafford. And I think Aaron Rodgers and that Packers offense, they're going to make Los Angeles pay for those mistakes. And then to flip it over to the Rams defense, I have to be honest with you guys. I'm kind of questioning this Rams defense. They got bullied by the 49ers before their bye week. And I think in this matchup, I think they're going to have a problem trying to contain A.J. Dillon in Green Bay's backfield. A.J. Dillon is an absolute beast, and he he doesn't shy away from contact from anybody. And if Aaron Jones returns for the Packers in this one, I think it's even going to boost the Packers even more so in this matchup against the Rams. So, I mean, as far as the prediction goes, I do have the Packers winning this one. I just think the Packers are the better team here. And as far as the quarterback matchup goes between Stafford and Rodgers, I'm favoring Rodgers. Aaron has been money the entire season so far. And I'm just going with the more consistent quarterback at this point in time. So I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have success against what I would consider a shaky LA defense right now. And then you combine it with the fact with possibly Aaron Jones coming back into the fold for Green Bay's backfield alongside A.J. Dillon. 
I think that offense is going to have success against that shaky LA defense. And I think they're going to be able to put up points on a consistent basis against the Rams in this one. So as far as the score is concerned for this one, I have the Packers winning by the score of 28 to 20. I don't believe it's going to be a runaway game for Green Bay in this one, but it's going to be a convincing win over the Rams, in my opinion. And when I look at the Rams, if the Rams lose a third game in the row, that's just going to be a bad look for them. I'm not saying that their playoff hopes are at risk if they lose against Green Bay this week, but for as good as this team is with LA, a midseason slump is kind of an understatement for what the Rams are going through if they end up losing this upcoming matchup to the Packers. I mean, to say that they've got to get it together is an understatement. All right, so up next, we're going to talk about the upcoming matchup between the Tennessee Titans and the New England Patriots. Let me give you guys a preview of this game between the Titans and the Patriots. Currently, the Tennessee Titans are sitting at an 8-3 and record. They are currently the number one team in the AFC South at this current moment in time, but they are coming off of a pretty bad loss to the Houston Texans last week at home. So they're looking for a bounce-back game against the Patriots in this one. And then... To flip it over to New England, the Patriots are currently sitting at 7-4 and right now. They are currently tied with the Buffalo Bills at the top of the AFC East. That's because the Buffalo Bills won their game over the New Orleans Saints on Thanksgiving night. So that is why they are now tied at the top of the AFC East right alongside the Patriots. So when I look at this game between the Titans and the Patriots... This game is dependent on two factors for me. The first one being is which Ryan Tannehill is going to show up for Tennessee. Because if the Ryan Tannehill that played against the Houston Texans shows up, who threw four interceptions against the Texans last week, the Titans are probably going to lose this game by two touchdowns. So when I look at Ryan Tannehill, he has to be on his A game in this one. Because I'm going to give you guys the rundown of what he's being presented with with New England's defense in this upcoming matchup. So the Patriots currently have the number one scoring defense in the NFL. They're third in yards allowed. They're third in takeaways. And they're top 10 in sacks. Not only that, New England's defense in the last three games has only given up a combined 13 points with the last game that they played against the Falcons. They shut out Atlanta. And when you look at New England's defense, you can make a case at this point the Patriots arguably have the best defense in the NFL right now. And I imagine the game plan for Ryan Tannehill is ball security and just limiting the amount of mistakes that he'll make against New England's defense. But the issues with Tennessee are kind of palpable going into this matchup against New England because they're dealing with some injury issues. Ryan Tannehill could be without A.J. Brown in this one against New England. He's questionable with a chest injury. And That goes along with they're not going to have Julio Jones in this game, who's on injured reserve for another week or so. Now, if A.J. Brown is in this game for the Titans, it does help their situation a little bit, but I'm still of the mindset that it's going to be a tall task for the Titans here. And I just think that the obstacles that the Titans offense has going up against New England's defense, it just doesn't favor them on paper. Now, the second factor in this game is... Can the Patriots offense maintain consistency against a stingy and opportunistic Titans defense? So when I look at New England's offense overall, they've looked solid in spurts throughout the season so far, but 
outside of the Browns game where the Patriots hung up over 40 points against Cleveland, they've gone hot and cold in stretches in most of their games this season. And the game that I kind of want to highlight to focus on that point was the game that they had against the Atlanta Falcons. Granted, they did win that game, but it's a good example of just the hot and cold spurts this offense has had because in the second half against the Falcons, that offense struggled mightily to get any sort of consistency as far as moving the ball up and down the field against Atlanta's defense. Now, Matt Jones has done a very solid job in his rookie season so far, but you could tell there's some inexperience showing in his games, not being able to pick up the right blitzers. Um, He hasn't been able to dump the ball when necessary to avoid taking a sack. Those are some things that I guess he'll work on in the next couple years in his career, but you could definitely tell that there's some inexperience in his game. And when I look at this matchup that he's being presented against the Titans, this is a good test for him. It's not only just a good test for him, it's a good test for the Patriots offense as well. I mean, the Titans are are 8-3 and three for a reason. They're at the top of the AFC for a reason as well. The Titans have beaten solid competition this season, like the Rams, the Colts, the Bills, and the Chiefs. When I look at the Titans' defense specifically, that Titans' defense held Patrick Mahomes and that high-flying Chiefs offense to three points. And not only that, they held the Los Angeles Rams, who have a high-powered offense as well, to 16 points at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. And the Titans' defense can definitely make life uncomfortable for a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones because if the Titans are able to get some pressure on Mac with their pass rush, they could definitely force some bad throws by Mac Jones and possibly get some turnovers from it. Now, when I dive into the prediction of this game, I'm going with the Patriots on this one. I just think that the Patriots' offense is going to be able to exploit some holes in that Tennessee defense. And I think it's going to be because that one-two punch that the Patriots have in Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson in the backfield, I think it's going to be a huge factor for New England here because I think New England is going to win in the trenches with their offensive line. And to further that point, I think with the offensive line success that they'll have against Tennessee's defense, I think it's going to give Mac Jones some time to throw in the pocket and be able to complete some good passes throughout the entirety of the game. And I just don't think the Titans defense is going to have a lot of opportunities to force some turnovers against New England because of the lack of pressure they're going to be able to get on Mac Jones and that Patriots offense. Now, I do believe that Ryan Tannehill is going to have a better game than he did against Houston last week where he turned the ball over four times. But I just believe that the Patriots defense is just too stout in this matchup. And if A.J. Brown doesn't play in this game for Tennessee, it really just compounds the obstacles that the Titans are going to have to be able to overcome in this game. And I just don't see that happening in this one. So as far as the score goes, I've got New England winning this one by 10 points. I got the score at 27 to 17. I think it's going to be a relatively competitive game, but I think New England is going to be able to make this one. They're going to be able to make some good adjustments in the second half. And I think they're going to be able to win this one in the fourth quarter where they end up winning the game by 10 points. So if it ends up winning, if it ends up going the way of the Patriots in this one, they would have a six-game winning streak. And you could honestly make a case that they could arguably be the best team in the AFC right alongside the Tennessee Titans and the Kansas City Chiefs. And had you told me that 
the Patriots would be in this situation a month and a half, month and a half ago, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I would have scoffed at that possibility because the Patriots were a sub 500 team. The inconsistency that we saw from Mac Jones and the offense was really showing. And even though that they were playing decently against some pretty solid competition, like the Buccaneers and the Cowboys, they weren't able to win those games, but they have really rounded out a good winning stretch of late. And, you know, once again, they're, they're back in a really good position going into the later stages of November, going into December. And even though that, I can't say right now that the Patriots are a Super Bowl contending team. They are definitely a playoff caliber team, in my opinion. And I think with the way that they've been winning the last couple of weeks, I think it's definitely put the AFC on notice. And I think the Titans are going to come into this one ready to go and give them everything that they got. But I do think that the Patriots, I think that they're just the better team overall. And I'm going to go with the Patriots in that one because of it. And I haven't even talked about this point. It's just... I just think that Bill Belichick, he has the advantage with the coaching element of this game over Mike Vrabel. Bill Belichick has really done a very fantastic job with the way that he's gotten this defense to play. Granted, the offense has been up and down, and they've shown some good flashes of what could be moving forward. But the fact that this team is relatively young, it really doesn't matter. I I think that Bill Belichick has put these guys in good situations to succeed and it's leading to winning results. And I do think that at this current moment in time, it's really been the defense that has been the primary part of that, just because the offense has been up and down, like I said earlier, but the Patriots are back here once again. And, you know, despite the fact that they were two and four about six weeks into the season, they're in a playoff contention mode right now. And and they're going to definitely give Tennessee a good run for their money in this one. I think they're going to end up on top. So going to definitely be a good game and I'm looking forward to it on Sunday. So with that said, we are going to transition into the last game of the Sunday slate that we're going to talk about on the episode. And that is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going up against the Indianapolis Colts. So to give you guys a preview of this game between the Buccaneers and the Colts, I'll start with the Bucks first. The Buccaneers are currently sitting at a 7-3 record. They're coming off of a pretty good performance in the Monday night matchup that they had against the New York Giants in Week 11, where they won by the score of 30-10. to uh, This was their first win uh, coming off of a two-game losing streak where they lost to the New Orleans Saints before their bye week, and then lost to the Washington football team after their bye week. But it looks like the Buccaneers were able to kind of kick their losing ways with a pretty solid performance against the Giants this past week. And then to flip it over to the Colts, the Colts are currently sitting at a 6-5 and five record. They're currently in second place in the AFC South, and they've really been on a resurgent stretch of late, and they had a absolute beatdown against the Buffalo Bills in Week 11, where they won by the score of 41-15, to 15, where Jonathan Taylor single-handedly destroyed Buffalo's defense by scoring five total touchdowns, four of which came on the ground, and one of them was a receiving touchdown as well. It's probably one of the best performances I've seen from any team the entire season. To get a win against a well-rounded unit like the Buffalo Bills, I got to give Indianapolis a lot of credit for that win on the road in Buffalo as well. So to dive into the game here between the Bucks and the Colts, 
it's going to be an interesting matchup because we're going to have to see which team is going to have the success against their opposing defense that they'll be playing against. So when I look at the Bucks here for a second, will Tom be able to have a solid day going up against this Indianapolis defense? Now, Indianapolis last week was able to contain Josh Allen throughout the entirety of that game, and Josh Allen had one of his worst performances of the entire year. And the Colts' defense was able to stifle that high-powered Buffalo Bills offense to 15 points. And to do that in Buffalo, I thought was even more impressive. Buffalo was never really in that game to begin with. Granted, I know that Jonathan Taylor had a huge day in that one, but I think what got lost from that performance was just how good that defense was against Buffalo. And that's going to be a focal point for Tampa in this one. Because when you look at what the secondary was able to do, against Buffalo last week with what Indianapolis was able to do. Indianapolis was able to shut down Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, and Emmanuel Sanders relatively easily throughout that game. So the point that Tampa is going to have to focus on here is getting separation from Indianapolis's secondary. Granted, they've got great targets to throw to you. I mean, you got Mike Evans, you got Chris Godwin, you got Rob Gronkowski who's back in the fold. AB is still hurt. Now, he may be getting close to getting back on the field, but I'm not sure he's going to be available for this one. But even so, I do think that Tampa's wideouts do have an advantage over Indianapolis's secondary just because these guys just find holes in the defense, whether they're playing man or zone, and they're able to capitalize by not only getting the receptions, but they're also resulting these drives in touchdowns. And that's going to be a huge factor for Tampa in this one. They can't just settle for field goals in this game against Indianapolis. Against the Giants, granted, they were able to move the ball up and down the field pretty easily against the Giants, but they had some drives stall out in the red zone. They weren't as efficient in the red zone as I thought they would be against the Giants, and I think that's going to be a focal point in this matchup against the Colts here. I think if they're able to get into the red zone and they're able to score touchdowns instead of settling for field goals, I think it'll favor the Bucks more in this one now to flip it over to Indianapolis Indianapolis is really going to be dependent on which Frank Reich shows up for the play calling I think if Frank learned anything from last week in the Buffalo game is give Jonathan Taylor the rock just because Buffalo had arguably the best defense in the NFL going into that matchup and Buffalo could not contain Jonathan Taylor in any way shape or form but to give up five touchdowns to Jonathan Taylor last week, and that had to be a pretty devastating blow to Buffalo's defense. But I believe that Frank Reich finally got the play calling right. And with the elements that were in play, because it was raining for most of that game, he had a phenomenal day. And I think if you look at the tape, I think that you could definitely find some exploits or you can find some holes in that Tampa rush defense if they're able to win the line of scrimmage. And that's really going to be the focal point, is if Indianapolis's offensive line controls the line of scrimmage against Tampa's defense, you could expect Jonathan Taylor to have a pretty solid day on the ground. I wouldn't be surprised if Indianapolis's offensive line wins the line of scrimmage, that he could possibly get 100 to 125 yards rushing, and maybe a touchdown or two as well. Now, when it comes to Carson Wentz, it's going to be interesting, because... Carson has been statistically great this year, but he has made some inopportune mistakes. Some of his passes have been 
iffy or they've been shaky just because he's throwing the ball into some dangerous windows. But overall, I think that Carson's been pretty solid overall throughout this year, even though that the Colts record doesn't reflect it. I think he's having a pretty solid year. It's miles better than what he had with Philadelphia last year. So I do think that Indianapolis's offense, they will be able to find some holes in this Tampa defense. It just depends on whether or not that the primary focus in this game for Indianapolis is, okay, is Carson Wentz going to be the guy to carry us to this win, or is it going to be Jonathan Taylor? And I think if they learned anything from last week is that Jonathan Taylor is the cowbell that runs this offense. But with Frank Reich, you really never know what you're going to get as far as the play calling goes. So maybe this is a game where they try to exploit Tampa's secondary more than the rushing defense because Tampa's rush defense is one of the best rush defense defenses throughout the entire league. So I wouldn't be surprised if Frank Reich goes away from Jonathan Taylor in this one just because he's respecting what Tampa's rush defense is capable of and is going to try to beat them in the air with Carson Wentz at the helm. I don't know if that's necessarily the best case moving forward for Indianapolis in this one. So with all that said, when it comes to the prediction in this one, I'm going to go with the Buccaneers in this one, but I think it's going to be a really close game. I don't think this is a game where the Buccaneers stomp them. I don't even think this is a game, even if the Colts win, this is where the Colts won't put a beat down like they did on the Bills last week. I think this is going to be a a pretty competitive game all the way down to the wire. But I just think that Tom is going to have success against the Indianapolis defense more than what I think the Colts offense is going to have against Tampa's defense. And that's despite the fact that I think Jonathan Taylor is capable of having a great day against Tampa. It's just Indianapolis, I think, is still a little bit behind the eight ball. I think they're still a relatively young team. And even though that I thought they had a great performance against Buffalo last week, I think they do come back down to earth a little bit against Tampa. Tampa is one of the best teams in the NFC. And I just think overall, Tampa's offense is just more prolific than what Indianapolis had to deal with with Buffalo last week. And when I look at the game overall, as far as the score goes, I'm going to say that this is going to be a high-scoring affair. I think that Tampa is going to win this one by the score of 31-27. to I think it's going to be a really close game. I think that Indianapolis is going to be able to really kind of get this one down to the wire. But I think Tom is going to be able to lead Tampa with some clutch drives in, in the fourth quarter. And I think just what Tom's able to do, I think it's going to be enough to get them past Indianapolis and get them a huge road win. I mean, that would move the Buccaneers to 8-3 and three on the season and it would bump the Indianapolis Colts to 6-6 six and six on the season. Even if the Colts lost this game, I don't think that their playoff hopes are dashed because of it. Just because, you know, they would be at 6-6 six and six with five games to go in the season. So, I just think that with the way that Indianapolis has been playing, I think they come back down to earth in this one. I think they, they take a really tough home loss, but I think that they'll be able to galvanize themselves. They'll be able to recover from that loss pretty quickly, and I think they will be able to get back into the playoff hunt once again. And I, I still have on the mindset that if this team is able to find consistency with Jonathan Taylor having success in the run game, the defense creating turnovers, Carson not being an idiot, throwing idiot passes, I think they'll do a good job. It's just, it depends on really what Frank Wright calls 
with the offense. And so far, that has been hit or miss this season. That's really kind of one of the main reasons as to why I'm not picking the Colts in this one. If the play calling was more consistent from Frank Reich this season, I might pick the Colts in this one. But with the way that the Buccaneers have been playing, with the way that they had a pretty solid performance against the Giants last week, I just think it's going to be too much for Indianapolis to handle. And I think that Indianapolis loses a tough one here. But, you know, it could be a good game. I'm definitely going to be paying attention to it. And, I mean, that's why, you know, it's on our feature topics. I think that we got some really good games to go through this week. And I think really the the Packers-Ram game is probably the, the best game of the weekend. I think the Patriots and Titans game is going to be... I wouldn't be surprised if both of these teams end up playing each other again in the playoffs when we get to January. And then when it comes to the the Colts and the Buccaneers, I think it's just going to be a fantastic game from beginning to end just because I think both teams offensively, they've kind of hit hit their strides their last couple weeks, and I think both defenses have been playing very well to go along with that. So I think a lot of people may just favor the, the Bucks just because the Buccaneers are the Bucks, But I think the Colts got a very good shot to win that game. And even though that I didn't pick them to win, they have a very good shot to win, win that game against Tampa. But I'm going to give Tampa the edge uh, over the Colts in that one. So definitely, definitely some good games from Week 12 as far as I'm concerned. And those are going to be the three that I'm really going to be paying attention to this weekend. So with that said, we're going to transition into our last segment of the episode And that's going to be the Phoenix Suns. So we've seen a lot of craziness in the NBA through the first quarter of the season. One example that I could pull off the top of my head is Golden State looks to be back in championship contention with this hot start that they've had. The Lakers and the Knicks have looked inconsistent so far this year. But I think the one thing that's been lost in the start of the NBA season so far has been how good the Phoenix Suns have looked to start this year. And despite coming off of a finals defeat to the Bucks last season, I believe the Suns are playing better now than they ever have. And when you look at the Phoenix Suns right now, the Suns are currently on a 14-game winning streak, and they're only one game behind Golden State for the best record in the NBA. And one has to ask, why have the Suns performed so well this season? When I look at the Suns as a team, The Suns are the number one team in shooting percentage throughout the entire NBA. They are knocking down almost 48% of their shots as a unit. And obviously that has to do with playmakers like Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton consistently knocking down their shots. But some role players like Cameron Johnson, Cameron Payne, even we can look at um, JaVale McGee as well. We've seen some really decent role players step up for them in huge ways and they're playing great basketball as a unit and not only that they're top five in scoring they're currently the third best scoring team in the NBA only trailing Golden State Warriors and the Utah Jazz and not only that the Suns are a top five team in point differential they're third in that category as well and it's not just the Suns are beating up bad teams in these matchups they've beaten some quality teams like the Mavericks the Trailblazers, the Lakers, the Hawks, and the Nuggets. And they've done it so in convincing fashion. And when I look at the Suns, I think they have one of the best constructed rosters in the league from their starting lineup to their bench. And I know a lot of attention is paid to Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton 
because those are the standout playmakers for the Suns with their team. But guys like Cameron Johnson, Cameron Payne, Jay Crowder, I mean, these guys have been stepping up and playing pivotal parts for the Suns this season. I mean, the respective impacts that they've had for Phoenix this year, it's leading to winning results. And when I look at the coaching staff that Monty Williams has crafted with this team, I really just think that Monty Williams is the perfect coach to lead this team to the, to the success they've had as a unit. And I know a lot of attention has been paid to Golden State this year for the start that they've, that they've had, for the start that Golden State has had. Even the rise of Jordan Poole for, for Golden State has been one of notable uh, presence, or it's been just noticeable as far as I'm concerned. But as far as I'm concerned, the Suns are going toe-to-toe with them right now. And with the roster that the Suns have constructed right now, I'm fully committed to the idea that this team can compete for another finals run like they had last season when it unfortunately ended in a loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. So I think throughout all the madness that we've seen in the NBA, I mean, granted, we've seen LeBron James get thrown out of the games for punching somebody. He served a suspension. We've seen the rise of Tyler Hero in the sixth man role for Miami. But one of the things that I think has really gotten lost the start of the season it's just how good the Suns have been so far this season and I gotta give them credit for that and I think that this team is fully capable of making another finals run like they did last year and I think when you've got a leader on the court like Chris Paul a young and up and coming star I should actually rephrase that I should say superstar in Devin Booker and then you got a pretty solid big man down low in DeAndre Ayton I mean, that's a good three-headed monster that you're rolling with with the starting five. I think that this team is fully capable of replicating the, the success that they had from last season. And, I mean, so far, it has continued. I mean, a 14-game winning streak. It's by far the best winning streak that we've seen in the NBA so far this season. And who knows? It could continue. I think that they have a favorable schedule coming up for them. I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns could pull off 15, 16, possibly even 17 to 18 wins in a row just because that's how good this unit is from 1 to 10. I mean, they have a very deep roster with the rotation that they've been running with guys in the starting unit and the guys on the bench. This team can run it with anybody, and that's why I think they're having great success to start the year. So I got to give the Suns a lot of credit for the start that they, for the start that that excuse me, for the start that they've had. Granted that, Jesus, that was a tough one for me to get out. But with that said, you guys, that'll wrap it up for me. Um, I I like trying to do these solo ones every, every now and again. Um, they're kind of fun in, in my own way to a certain extent, but um, I am going to be doing another one by myself uh, beginning of next week. So Kevin, I don't think is going to be back in time. Uh, from vacation to be able to do another episode with me. So I imagine we'll see Kevin on another episode later next week when we go over, what would that be? That would be week 13 for the NFL. So I would expect that Kevin would be back for the Friday episode for next week. But the the Monday one, I kind of highly doubt. I just don't think he's going to be able to make that one in time. But with that said, you guys, that'll wrap it up for me. Um, 
whether you guys were listening to us on the audio platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, we definitely appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. If you guys were watching us on YouTube, we definitely appreciate the support and watching our videos. Um, if you guys watch this on YouTube, um, if you guys like the video, hit that like button below. And if you guys want to support the channel, hit that subscribe button below. Any sort of support that we can get for the channel, Kevin and I definitely appreciate it. You know, once again, you guys, just thank you guys for supporting the podcast in the ways that you have. I know Kevin and I definitely appreciate that in every way imaginable. And I've got nothing else to add from here. Once again, just thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you guys next week. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric acid.